What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, Hoopside.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoopside podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ben DuBose, who covers the Houston Rockets at USA Today's Rockets Wire. We're going to discuss the futures of John Wall, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, Dennis Schroeder, and more. Get a look at what's ahead in the near future for the Rockets coming up this summer and a little bit beyond as well. Ben, appreciate you hopping on the line with me and looking forward to picking your brain on this team that uh, you're around quite a bit. How's everything going, brother? Pretty good, Michael. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Oh, my pleasure. And I mean, it, you know, there's a there's a lot to get into with this team with some of the names I touched on. But, you know, I, I guess we'll start first with uh, John Wall, the former number one overall pick. Um, coming into the year, uh, Houston was prioritizing developing their younger guys. And, uh, you know, the Rockets and John pretty much agreed that, like, it wasn't going to make sense uh, for him to play. But he would still try to help and mentor where he can some of the younger guys. Um, he was not traded at the deadline. And now as we look ahead towards the offseason, as expected, John Wall is going to exercise his $47.4 million player option for next season, I'm told. After that, the Rockets will have time to look for a trade to move Wall. If Houston can't find a trade partner for Wall, his representation at Clutch Sports is expected to work with the Rockets on a buyout agreement before next season. A uh, potential buyout agreement would allow Wall to take advantage of the market. Wall turns 32 in September. Uh, he's healthy. And I've heard he'd like to be on a winning team and, and have a role if possible. Um, you know, Ben, when, when you look at the, the the John Wall situation, not only this season, but, you know, even looking at him when he was with Boogie Cousins and uh, that dynamic there with James Harden before he was moved, uh, what did you think of – his situation with Houston and looking ahead towards the uh, the foreseeable future and, and the near future coming up. He definitely had something left in the tank last season. It was a little bit of an awkward fit because he didn't really have the scoring around him. So he had to be a bit more of a scorer than a playmaker with the Rockets. And that I think ideally with John Wall, you'd have him in a role similar to what he was able to do next to Bradley Beal in Washington in Houston, other than a very brief period with James Harden and a not even close to fully engaged James Harden. They didn't really have that much. So Wall had to take on a bit more as an isolation creator, not as much as a true point guard facilitator, just because there weren't that many other guys who could shoot or score after the James Harden trade and what was left of the Rockets at that point in time. Uh, in particular, Victor Oladipo was nowhere near what they had hoped. But I, there was enough in terms of his explosion that I, I was encouraged. Now he's had another year off to basically get his body right, another year since all the Achilles issues that he had. So I think physically he's still a good player. He put up 20-7 and seven last year, was reasonably efficient in doing so, and his three-point shot has gotten a little bit better over the years. So I think he has something to offer for sure. I'm with you in that I – tend to think a buyout is more likely than a trade only because the Rockets are not going to want to take back bad money. It's not so much that 
they can't trade him. I think they could. But when you take a step back and you look at the Rockets and the macro, they're really set up well for the 2023 offseason, the way their salary books currently are. John Wall, Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, all of those guys expire after next season or potentially expire. There's an option in Gordon's case. And so it's a much better scenario if Wall just simply becomes a free agent or you buy him out than if you trade him and take back bad money. So I tend to think, you know, certainly they'll try again. I think the Lakers with Russell Westbrook, that's the obvious suitor. But again, they tried that at the deadline. It didn't work. So I struggled to see why the Lakers would necessarily uh, do that deal in the offseason and give Houston the future first to basically buy out Westbrook instead if they wouldn't have done it at the deadline. If the Lakers feel that Wall is going to get bought out anyway, they can just wait and sign him as a free agent via buyout as opposed to giving up assets to the Rockets. So that's why I'm sort of pessimistic on that scenario. And most trades in general, the Rockets don't want to take back bad money. The only the only scenario that does make me keep a little bit of an open mind to a Wall trade, keep in mind that the 2023 offseason, which is really not that far away, just a little over a year from now, it's going to be really big for the Rockets because that that next season, 2023-2024, is when all of their draft pick obligations to Oklahoma City from the Russell Westbrook trade come back into play. So one thing we know about the Rockets at a very high level is that by the 2023 offseason at the latest, they are going to be trying to win. This is not going to be a prolonged rebuild. And you know, one way they can just let those contracts expire and have cap space. But I think also they'll certainly be looking at the trade market. The trade market might be better for them than free agency anyway because you're less likely to get young impact players via free agency. And I think they want young guys to build uh, with that core that currently consists of Jalen Green, Alfred Shingoon, Kevin Porter Jr., etc., and while I don't think they're going to be looking for a major move in 2020 uh, or in 2022 per se, just based on how young they are, they have the worst record in the league right now. At the same time, if the right guy comes available, you know, people have speculated about Zion and New Orleans all year. We'll see about what happens with Donovan Mitchell in Utah after this season, if they go out in the first round. The Rockets are at a point now where those contracts are close enough to expiring between Wall, Eric Gordon, and Christian Wood that conceivably you could make a move in 2022 if you wanted and basically be able to make the math work without giving the other team bad money because any of those contracts are expiring. So I think they'll start with the Wall situation by you know, looking to see if there's any home runs out there. Personally, I kind of doubt that there will be because those guys that I mentioned, it's not just about just Houston want to trade for them. It's also, you know, it's Houston at this stage attractive to them. And so having all those things line up in 2022, probably doubtful. And so that's why I think the ultimate outcome is probably a, a buyout. And, you know, as you mentioned before the season makes sense, because if there was going to be a trade possibility, I think by, well, ideally by the deadline this year, but early in the off season, I think you'd have plenty of opportunities. And if there's still nothing by the time you get through that first wave of free agency, that's when I think that the buyout talks can really ramp up, but I do think they'll explore all of their options. It only makes sense for Rafael Stone to do so and just see what's out there. And if there are any, you know, bigger possibilities in which maybe you can use wall or Christian or Eric, one of those guys for salary matching purposes, but uh, assuming nothing amazing comes down 
on the pike. And again, the Rockets aren't going to force it because the way it's set up, they do have their draft pick in 2023 as well. So unless there's something amazing, I think the odds on scenario is they just let this young core keep developing. They get one more high draft pick in a year from now, and they sort of table any aggressive moves until the 2023 offseason. So I think in the grand scheme, I'm right there with you. The odds on favorite is a buyout later in this coming offseason. I've heard a lot of what you kind of mentioned about 2023. Like that's kind of where they're looking. So with that in mind, you touched on, uh, you know, the possibility of kind of wall and his salary and, and, but more importantly, Eric Gordon and Christian Wood as guys that uh, could be moved. Now uh, this past deadline, Eric Gordon's name came up with a couple of teams and, you know, as I had reported on Hoopsite, they were the Rockets were seeking a first round pick in trade talks for Gordon in about mid January or so. Um, his contract now that he's shown he's he's been able to be healthy and it's more on the tail end of that is a bit more appealing than it was in previous seasons when he was hurt. Um, Christian Wood, obviously an interesting piece, talented guy. Um, if you combine Wood and Gordon, you could potentially have a, a chance at matching bigger salaries if, if you had to with another team for a, a, a higher level caliber player. Um, what's interesting to me when you look at those two, I, I think a lot of people around the league were surprised that Gordon was not moved at the deadline. And then looking ahead with those two specifically with Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, uh, is, is there a sense in Houston or around the Rockets uh, on their futures, looking at the offseason, whether they will be moved or not. This might surprise a lot of people on the outside, but my personal sense is that it's more likely that Christian Wood gets moved than Eric Gordon. And let's be clear, it's possible that both or neither could be moved. But I think with the Gordon situation, they legitimately like him a lot in terms of what he brings, not only as a basketball player, but also his influence around those younger guys. And if they're not getting the type of offer that they feel is fair for his value, as you mentioned, they were looking for a first-run pick at the deadline, I think they're perfectly content having him around Jalen Green, around Kevin Porter Jr., a professional to learn from who makes an impact in the court without having to have the ball in his hands all that often. I think there's simply a point with EG where if all you're getting is say a heavily protected late first or second round pick, the Rockets just say, Hey, his value to us as a player, as a stabilizing force on the practice court and the locker room is better than that type of draft draft asset when they already have so many coming down the pike from obviously Brooklyn, but they have Milwaukee's first round pick next year as well. And of course, uh, their own until those OKC pick obligations coming back and come back into play starting in 2024. So I think they'll certainly canvas the league for Gordon suitors. But if the market isn't that much better than it was at the deadline, and who knows, maybe it is because he will be potentially expiring this next season. So there's less uh, salary that other teams are on the hook for. Also, as you mentioned earlier, you could potentially use him as matching salary if somebody comes available unexpectedly, a star that you want to move on and one that's open to Houston. Again, I think that's not as likely in 2022 as it would be in 2023, but you never know. But I think from a basketball perspective, they are content having Gordon around. I think with Christian Wood, 
it's a little trickier because the numbers are there, but the defense has taken a step back this year. And I don't know how much of it is so much, you know, him, because certainly the team this year is a lot younger. So it's hard to say exactly how much is him versus your overall team defense is typically going to take a step back when you're extremely young as they are. But I think at a bare minimum, it has not taken a step forward. So even though the numbers are there, at 27 years old, he's not giving you a ton on the defensive end of the floor, and he's due for a new contract after next season. And unlike Gordon, who is sort of at a place in his NBA career where he is what he is, Christian Wood is at a point in his prime where he's going to want to get paid. And if the Rockets aren't comfortable for one reason or another doing that in Houston, then you want to make sure that you maximize that value. And I think there's going to be more value in the offseason than, than there would be waiting until the trade deadline when the team acquiring them would only have a couple of, of uh, months left before he becomes a free agent. Now, they would have his bird rights, but I think it's a lot better scenario in terms of your leverage if the team acquiring Wood has a full year to do so. There's also the benefit of giving Alperen Shingun the clear role as starting center going into this season, uh, 2022, 2023, that is. So I think with Wood, it makes more sense to look at him in the offseason than with Gordon, unless there's a mutually agreeable deal that you feel good about. And even if that's the case, again, some of the defensive issues and, you know, even though he's still young in the grand scheme in his mid to late 20s, at the same time, he's not in alignment with your uh, young core, which is all closer to 2021. So I could see for a lot of reasons this being the time that they look to move wood. The other factor, too, that you have to keep in mind with Christian, I've talked to people around the league, and the general sense I get is that some of the off-court concerns that exist in regards to you know, his attitude and that kind of stuff, they think that Christian would be a better fit in a contender's locker room. And what I mean by that is a spot in which there's a clear veteran star in place. Keep in mind that when the Rockets brought in Christian Wood in November 2020, they were still trying to make things work with James Harden. He was still under contract. They were still trying to play John Wall. They had not pivoted to this full-blown rebuild that they have now. And so there was a hierarchy in which Wood would sort of fit in. Whereas now, Christian Wood basically is the veteran other than Gordon because you know, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Alperen, Shingun, these are all incredibly young players that are basically uh, leading the Rockets in minutes right now. So for a guy that's had some of the questions that Christian Wood has throughout his career, the sense that I get from talking to people is that, you know, he'd be much better off in a spot in which there's a clear you know, veteran alpha, if you will, in place somewhere like the Nets with Kevin Durant, the Lakers with LeBron, we know the heat culture that's in Miami, those types of teams. Well, the problem at the deadline with those types of teams, Michael, and I'm sure you know this well, is that many of them have already cashed in their future draft assets for some time trying to build around those veteran stars in their dwindling prime years. Well, what's going to change when we get to the offseason? Once the 2022 draft starts, you're going to have another year of draft capital, the 2029 picks that come into play on the trade market, and that might make it to where one of those teams becomes a suitor for Christian Wood. Or maybe you know, maybe there's a scenario where Christian Wood and John Wall could perhaps go to the Lakers together, and that helps you get the sort of asset from the Lakers that they couldn't get simply from a John Wall, Russell Westbrook proposal which everybody talked about. But I think for a lot of reasons, Wood is likely to move in the offseason. Gordon could move, but I 
you know, I'm not holding my breath on it. I think they'll canvass the league, but as we saw at the deadline, I just don't think they're going to be desperate to move Gordon if the offers are simply a super late protected first or, say, a high second-round pick. And with that in mind with Gordon, I think that's what surprised a lot of other execs around the league is that he's finally been healthy after a couple of years where he's dealt with some uh, injuries. And I think a lot of people around the league, executives, thought that he'd be a guy that they would try to cash in on the chips. But, uh, you know, you brought up excellent points on what they think of him in the locker room and whatnot. Uh, you know, Gordon's a little older at this point, around 33. He's still got uh, enough left in the tank to help on a team. But interesting, nonetheless, how Houston is kind of viewing him at this point. Um, and and also, like with, with Christian Wood, I, I think more or less you're spot on. Um they're going to have to figure out who's part of the future and who's not. And he's getting older enough where he's going to be in his prime where I don't know if that clicks with where Houston's at right now. And as you've alluded to, you know, they are Houston is trying to preserve as much cap space as possible for 2023. And with that in mind, you then take a look at Jay Sean Tate, right? Because he's uh, going to be up for an extension kind of around the corner here. And, from what I've heard, Jay Sean Tate is currently viewed as a potential long-term piece for the Houston Rockets, but it makes more sense for the Rockets to use the cap space that year and then pay him using bird rights down the line. Um, that same thinking could also apply to Kevin Porter Jr., unless he agrees to a discounted extension down the line as well. Um you know, when you when I've talked to Rockets coaches and just other talent evaluators around the league, Tate is viewed as a winning type of player. He can, he can defend multiple positions and he does the intangibles uh, despite being on a rebuilding team. He's viewed as a winning player. I think he's a guy that has value around the league um, as well when it comes to uh, Jay Sean. When you look at Jay Sean's scenario uh, where he will be extension eligible and also a little bit with uh, Kevin Porter Jr. looking a little bit further ahead. What do you see in terms of that dynamic, in terms of uh, the extension possibilities for, for both looking a little bit further ahead? Yeah, it's interesting because you know, Jay Sean is 26 right now. He'll turn 27 before next season. And that makes him basically the identical age to Christian Wood. Now, Christian's been in the NBA way longer because Jay Sean, of course, went the international route and this is just his second season. But I do think it's interesting that even though these guys are the same exact age, pretty much, Jay Sean Tate is playing down the stretch of the season, whereas Christian Wood is in that veteran group that got shut down about a week ago along with Eric Gordon and Dennis Schroeder to where, you know, they'll say that it's, you know, managing injuries and whatnot, but we all know it's to evaluate younger players and or preserve their draft positioning. That's what's going on around really the entire league with teams near the top of the draft order. We know what's going on there, but the fact that Tate is still playing, whereas Wood was in that veteran group that was shut down, it does kind of indicate to me that Tate is seen, even though he's a little bit older in terms of his actual age, he's in year two in the NBA. And I do think they see him, you know, as closer to that young core in terms of alignment 
than maybe Christian Wood is. And so I do think there's something to that point. As far as the outlook for extensions, I tend to agree with you in that unless there's a big trade that happens this summer and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can't rule it out. I'm sure Raphael Stone, if, you know, if someone in that 25 or under group really has a crazy situation, so to speak, with their team and tries to leverage their way out, I'm sure Houston will poke around. This is a franchise that thinks they're desirable, that is not afraid to take big swings. But unless that happens, preserving cap room for 2023 is definitely important. And with KPJ, who was the last pick in 2019, his cap, the last pick of the first round, that is, his cap hold is so small that you can keep him into restricted free agency in 2023 at a very low rate and still figure it out and you'll have a substantial amount of leverage because he would be restricted with Jay Sean. As you mentioned, you'll have his bird rights. So unless there's a big deal this summer, if there is a big deal, then cap space is less important because you're already sort of allocating your chips, so to speak. And at that point, maybe extensions become more realistic because you're not having to, you know, preserve the cap space route. But if nothing big happens this summer, you know, the way it is, most of the current team is under contract for at least next season then yeah, I expect the Rockets to be very cautious with any you know longer term money beyond 2023 because they want to preserve the right to you know make cap room and splurge in 2023 free agency if they want it. So while I do think they like Jay Sean Tate, and I think there are certainly flashes from Kevin Porter Jr., his production at point guard has been somewhat mixed, but at least as a shooter, he's come a long way, especially catch and shoot at a bare minimum. He looks like a guy who could be a competent uh, rotation player and worst case, a six man type off the bench, even if the point guard experiment is sort of um, hit or miss depending on the day or the week. At the same time, I expect them to be patient with those. And I'm not expecting them to aggressively spend money this off season on extensions, unless they have a big trade that sort of changes their financial outlook. It's going to be interesting to see where the market lands on Kevin Porter Jr.'s value financially. Um, you know, I, th- I think the same thing for Jay Sean Tate. I mean, certainly, over, you know, over time, the Rockets have gotten calls on him from teams inquiring on him. And it's always interesting to see, well, if a team values him at a certain level of give me back this draft asset, well, then the flip side of that is, well, then you should probably pay him accordingly to that if, if you value him that way as well with other teams. It's a very interesting kind of seesaw effect there with, with those guys uh, for sure. And, and in particular, as I touched on with uh, Jay Sean Tate, interesting dynamic about where he fits, but you need like some good core role type of guys as well. Like you see it, this is a different type of role, but you see it with the Nets with like Joe Harris, no matter how many changes they've had over the years, Joe Harris is stuck because he fits certain intangible roles Now he could shoot. Jay Sean, more of a defender and intangibles guy um, and doesn't need the ball where some of these younger guys uh, may need it. Yep, exactly. You know, and, and with that in mind, one of those guys that obviously Houston's going to be looking to build around, uh, not only in the near future, but potentially long term as a, a franchise cornerstone is Jalen Green. Um, you know, in the beginning of the year, I think some people saw Evan Mobley kind of coming on to the scene with Cleveland and, and maybe there was some question of whether if Houston should have took maybe Mobley instead of Green at that point. But overall, from your vantage point, being around the Rockets consistently, what is the vibe 
on Jalen Green in terms of where he's at right now and what he could be looking ahead long term in terms of what the Rockets envision for him? Yeah, they're very high on him, and rightfully so. As we're recording this, he's had uh, five straight games of 30-plus points, which is the first time since uh, Allen Iverson in 1997. And those are the only two guys, Iverson in 97 and now Jalen Green in 2022. They've done that in at least the last 40 years, rookies, that is. So he's really coming along as a scorer. And one of the interesting things, when you talk to people uh, around the Rockets, they will push back a little bit on this narrative that's become popular that it really clicked for him starting in February. And especially when he had the breakout performance at all-star weekend, he was great in the rising stars game. You know, Jalen has said that boosted his confidence, but in reality, he's been fairly efficient for almost the entire season. It was basically the first 15 games. He got off to a brutal start, but what the Rockets will tell you, and they're right, that brutal start, they were trying to make things work with Daniel Tice and Christian Wood, and they had Jay Sean Tate at the three, and the spacing in that was just horrible with that configuration. They just could not figure it out offensively, and the other guys that played with those starters, namely Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., they just did not have the space they needed to operate. They didn't have the open looks from three-point range. Really, ever since the Rockets ditched that, I think it was tough for them to do that because as I'm sure you remember, the Rockets signed Daniel Tice for four years. They wanted him to be, you know, an anchor defensively, and it wasn't his fault. It's just the fit alongside a front court that also had Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate was not what they envisioned, and it just made it very, very difficult. And unfortunately, they couldn't really play Tice at the backup center either because you drafted Shingoon, and he's played well this season, and you want to get Shingoon all the minutes you can for his development. But in terms of Jalen, ever since they ditched that dual big lineup with no spacing, he's pretty much been an above average scorer in terms of efficiency since uh, late November when they made that change. The one exception would be at a stretch of seven or eight games towards the end of January. Poor, and perhaps that was the rookie wall or just an ill-timed shooting slump. But really what the Rockets will tell you is that it's not just you know a late-in-the-season run. He's been really good all season long once they got him some semblance of normal spacing. And now, you know, even though he had that slow start, now he's shooting, you know, his true shooting percentage is about 55 now, which is pretty damn good. He's at uh, 17 points a game on the season as a whole since the start of February. He's well over 20 points a game now. So he's really come along. And I think just like a lot of shooting guards in his same mold, uh, Devin Booker a few years ago, uh, Zach Levine, you tend to see the playmaking come along last. I think a lot of people around the league that aren't necessarily watching the Rockets, and I understand why this team right now is the worst record in the league, you know, they'll see the points, but not much in the way of rebounds or assists. And typically that comes along last. I think what the Rockets are focused on, you know, certainly they've worked on his shooting mechanics a little bit, and that's really taken off the last couple of months. He's shooting about 40% from three. And then the big one, they really want him to get stronger, and that's going to be a gradual thing. You don't want him to put on too much weight too fast because that's going to cost him some of his athleticism, his burst. And so as he gets stronger, he's going to get to be a, certainly a better defender, but also on offense, he's going to get better at driving to the rim, finishing through contact, all those types of things. 
And once he fully develops in those areas and becomes even more dynamic as a scorer, then it's going to make it all the easier for the playmaking gene to develop because at that point, you're going to have defenses that commit so much attention and so many resources to him. That's going to make it all the easier to sort of uh, facilitate and see those open lanes for other players. So I think right now, you know, they've worked on his shooting and that's been the biggest thing that's really helped him just sort of become a dynamic scorer over the last few weeks and months. And I think in sort of the weeks, months ahead, the off season, the idea is going to be to get him better, uh, to get him stronger. I should say in regards to just his upper body strength, it's going to help him, uh, defensively. It's going to help him on his drives to the bucket. And then as the years progress, I think similar to those other shooting guards that I named, you're going to see the playmaking come along a little bit later, because I think that's just sort of natural. You worry about the shooting, the scoring first, and then the playmaking is going to take off once you get, uh, you know, defenses that are really locked in on this guy. But I think right now they're really happy with where he's at. And I think it's big for a relatively unproven front office. I know Raphael Stone, Eli Whitus, these guys worked for Gerald Morey for all those years, but this is their first time to really be at the forefront. And it would have been, you know, I don't think they would have been under, you know, direct pressure for their jobs by any means, but it would not have been great if a relatively novice front office had looked like going into this offseason that, you know, they had blown their high pick, which is what a lot of the conventional thinking early in the season when Jalen Green got off to that slow start and Evan Mobley was tremendous. I'm not going to say now that clearly they made the right pick because Evan Mobley's had a heck of a season as well. But I think there's clearly enough with Jalen Green to where you can you can see the path to where he ends up being the right pick. As far as whether that actually happens, time will tell. But I think the fact that he's shown this, you know, it should be a nice sort of um, vote of confidence in the evaluations of Raphael Stone in that front office. And it looks like, you know, Alperin Shingun, Josh Christopher, mid to late first round, those are hitting well um, so far. So I think, you know, certainly with Jalen, it's nice to see. And I also think this recent run sort of validates the thinking of the front office and the homework that they put in leading them to choose Jalen Green over literally everyone in the draft last year, except for Kate Cunningham, who was off the board. You know, it's interesting. You you look at post the trade deadline and after they moved Tice and they got Dennis Schroeder in March, Jalen Green played 17 games and he averaged about 21 points. But to your point about the shooting and the spacing, he shot 48% and he shot 40% from three point range. So uh, with, a, with a true shooting percentage of 59%. So uh, I, I think when you look at those numbers, certainly there's optimism there in terms of what could be looking ahead. And as he kind of hits his stride and like you touched on uh, more spacing, you know, but with that in mind, you obviously touched on Tice um, a little bit and, and, and the trade of him w- with that in mind, Dennis Schroeder being a part of that, I thought it was an interesting move. You know, obviously, look, it's about maximizing the cap space, right? But in the meantime, when Schroeder was acquired, right, he left the Celtics at the time. They were 31 and 25. Okay, this was on about February 8th. Now, the Boston Celtics since then have gone 18 and 5. And as of this recording, they're 49 and 30 overall. Um, Then for Houston's side, they get an opportunity to make more cap space looking ahead for 2023, like uh, we talked about. And so then it's like, okay, 
while John Wall didn't play for them, Dennis Schroeder does. Um, and, and they talk about like Paul, um, Steven Silas the other day was talking about what he's bringing in, in terms of uh, leadership. Interesting to me there. I mean, Dennis has obviously been known as a good player. I don't know if other organizations would think of him as a leader type, but he is one of the few veterans on a, a young team. Um, but, but that, that tice trade really to me is what was fascinating because that really set the marker for the 2023 offseason. Uh, they clear his cap space. They'll eventually have an option on yep. David Nawaba. They've got the option on Eric Gordon, as you talked about. John Wall's deal expires. And then they've got other guys on rookie deals, um, whether they're minimums, and they've got K.J. Martin for the foreseeable future, Garrison Matthews as potential role players that they can have. And they've got uh, Jay Sean Tate through next year as well. Fascinating for me to see that. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know, that's just what came to my mind when, when you were talking about uh, Tyson a little bit on Dennis. But um, I kind of wrap it up with this. You know, I guess if you had any other thoughts on uh, Dennis Schroeder and his future there, and also kind of what direction in terms of draft picks, uh, you know, Houston could potentially go where, you know, they're looking at the top. Uh, on their board, you know, let's say they're in the top five, you know, the big names, obviously you got Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, uh, Paolo Bancaro, Jaden Ivey, sometimes Keegan Murray, obviously will pop in on the back end of that as well. Uh, what direction they can go there as well. Yeah. With Schroeder, it was interesting on Tuesday night in Brooklyn, there was uh, a German group of reporters that asked Silas about, uh, you know, even though he's not playing, they asked Silas, about his views of Schroeder as a player, as a leader, whether he was open to having him back next season. And Silas was very positive about that, as you said, talking about his leadership and, you know, clearly indicating that he was open to a potential Schroeder return. And I know we've talked a lot on this episode about the Rockets not wanting to commit much money because they want to preserve 2023 cap space. Well, the thing about Schroeder that's kind of good is that because they don't have bird rights, there's basically no way that they would bring him back unless he's on a reasonable deal. Like last off season, we know what happened. Schroeder wanted a big deal. It didn't materialize. He had to sign basically one year for 6 million with the Celtics and there's no bird rights because it's a one year deal. Well, for the Rockets, if they can keep him really, the only way is that if they can give him, you know, up to 120, percent of his existing salary. That's basically the only rights they have unless they were to spend their non-tax pyramid level. And personally, I doubt they do that. I think if they spend that type of resource, it would be on a younger player that's more of a timeline fit. Schroeder's going to be uh, 29 years old next year. But if they can get Schroeder by the 120% rule, and I don't know, some of that's going to depend on how other teams see him and what his market develops like. But again, he's near 30, so maybe the market is sort of collapsing on him a little bit then that's a small enough deal to our, you know, let's say they give him $7 million a year for three years. I would be open to that because it helps on a couple of levels. Number one, it hedges against the Kevin Porter Jr. scenarios. If for some reason some of the off-court concerns crop up again, or he just is not developing as a point guard the way you would like, then there's someone that's steady, that's proven that you could slide into the lineup to 
bolster the development of Jalen Green. So it sort of hedges against some of the KPJ risk. And also off the bench, they really like what they've seen from Josh Christopher. But they like they like him much more off the ball than on the. The comparison that Rafael Stone has thrown out for Josh Christopher a lot is Drew Holiday. That's sort of the development trajectory they want him on. And so they don't really want him being the guy bringing the ball off the floor for that second unit. So I think Schroeder, number one, he can help you hedge on KPJ. And two, for that second unit, if KPJ does work out, then Schroeder is your bench point guard and you let Christopher play off the ball a bit more, which they think plays well. Uh, to his strength. So I don't know if it will work out, but I could see the, the Rockets if Schroeder is willing to sign for something within that 120%, which is like $7 million a year, I could see that being a deal that they agree to just because he sort of hedges against a couple of different scenarios for them. A- as far as the draft, the dream guy for me is still Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga because of all the elite guys, he's the one that can make an impact without the ball in his hands. That's something you mentioned earlier in the context of Jay Sean Tate that's important. And I think it also plays into the draft. Certainly, they're going to take best player available no matter what. When you have an asset that high, you've got to do that. But with the way the team is currently constructed, they already have a lot of guys. Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, KPJ, even Josh Christopher, who's shown flashes. He had 30 the other night. All of these guys need the ball in their hands to succeed at the highest level. And so I would love in a perfect world for the guy they get out of the top of this draft to be someone who, you know, certainly they're not going to take no shots, but in the case of Holmgren, just his value as a, as a floor spacer with, you know, elite form from three point range. And of course his insane height and wingspan, the fact that he gives them, you know, if the Rockets are able to get him a rim protector and defense has clearly been an issue for them all season long. To me, that's the ideal. Now, certainly, you know, they're going to take best player available no matter what. And with an asset that high, you know what, you can, you know, you can worry about the fit later. You can trade some of these guys. If it turns out there's too many mouths to feed from a shots and touches perspective. But in a perfect world, with the way they are currently configured, I think Holmgren is the dream guy because I would just love to add someone who can be a difference maker without really needing that many touches and shot attempts initially. To me, that would be the best for developing, you know, not just the rookie that they get, but maximizing the young guys that they have in place already. Well, Ben, we certainly touched on a lot of different topics on the Rockets looking ahead towards the offseason. Folks, make sure you're keeping up with Ben and his work at the Rockets Wire on USA Today. Certainly good stuff and analysis there. I appreciate you coming on and chopping it up with me on the Rockets, brother. A lot to uh, look forward to for the offseason. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure, Ben. And I also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside Podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members, such as Ben DuBose, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up on my tweets on Twitter, at Mike Scotto. Make sure you're following Ben, too, at Ben DuBose. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. 